Thanks, Adrian. It's, uh, it's a fantastic passage. Uh, it's filled with great things uh, that we need to learn today. And um, I'm actually going to try something totally different uh, today. Oh, totally different. It'll look kind of similar, but there'll be some differences. What I want you to do, can, uh, can I ask you to get out your card? looks like this. It'd be really good if you can have that handy. Um, if you've got a pen, that'd be great. Uh, ladies, we assume you probably have access to a pen. Blokes, we know you don't. Um, so there's a pen on every second uh, chair. Uh, well, there should be anyway. If you don't have one with you, uh, grab one off the floor, which has probably inevitably fallen on the ground somewhere near you. What I want you to do is help me today uh, in two ways. Uh, I've got two parts to the sermon today, and uh, I'm going to look for some timekeepers. Anyone got a, a watch on them or a, a thing that they can count down? Okay, I want you to put 15 minutes on the clock, Bernie, if you can. And uh, basically, I'm going to try and give you the first part of Ephesians chapter 2 in 15 minutes. If I run out, that'll be very disappointing for me, but that'll be it. And then I'll give you the second half, because the second half will be the second 15 minutes, and it's awesome as well. Is that all right? Lord, have mercy on our souls. Um, What I want you to do with this is as you hear something from the first half that captures your attention, jot it down. And in the second half, I want you to do the same. Is that all right? All right. Uh, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to start the stopwatch and we'll dive in. How's that sound? Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to turn our attention to this part of your word. Come now by your Holy Spirit. Show us things afresh. Convict and change us where we need to be different than how we are today. May this be your work, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, game on. Uh, do you like the good news first or the bad news? Uh, I'm going to just quick, quick survey. Put up your hand if you like the good news first. Okay, wow. Uh, put up your hand if you like the bad news first. Okay, congratulations, you're roughly in the same category as this survey I read. Uh, Apparently, 75% of people, it's a lot more here today, uh, 75% of people would prefer the bad news before the good news. Interestingly enough, unless they're telling it. And when they're telling it, most people prefer, 70% of people prefer to tell the good news first and then tell the bad news. Fascinating. I'm going to go with the percentages and say that you'd like to hear the bad news first, so that's where we're going to go. What's ultimate for humans? What's our best life look like? Our church is called New Life. If you start a new life, what's best for you? Here's some uh, takes from the world. Do all you can to make your dreams come true. Fantastic. How about this one? Uh, Just be kind and brave. That's all you ever need to be. I reckon this is, we're about to reach the absolute pinnacle of human achievement. You ready for this next one? I just want to eat cupcakes and shoe shop all day. Do I hear any amens for that? Not sure. Okay. Uh, Interestingly enough, these are not the ultimate. What did Jesus say when he was asked, what's the most important commandment? There, There are stacks of them in the Old Testament. Some debate about how many, let's say more than 600. Someone said to Jesus, what's the most important commandment? This was Jesus' answer. He answered, love the Lord your God. Do you know this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. What else? With all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then he gets a bit cheeky, and he adds this. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, interestingly enough, just side point, Jesus asked for one commandment. He gives them two. I think that's very cheeky of him, but I love it. He's God, so that's good. Uh, So what's ultimate for humans? Love God and love your neighbor. Ready for the bad news? 
God says that they're impossible on your own. You can't do them on your own. Well, that's a bummer. We should just close church and leave, should we? Uh, No, but let's think about why that is the case. Why is it that we can't love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Why is it that we can't love our neighbor as ourselves? In order to get into the world of this letter written to the church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, we need to think about the world as Paul understands it, as God tells us it's like. For some of you today, you will think this is world difference number one. We'll think there is only the visible world. There is only what you and I can see and touch. But the world of the Bible, the world of this letter, the world that God talks about, is a world where there is the visible and the invisible. It's a terrible image. I was trying to work out, how do I show the spiritual world? Here's the thing. There's two realities. They overlap, okay? They overlap. There is a physical, visible reality, but it is not everything. You are spirit and body. There are spiritual powers and there are earthly powers. The world that Paul writes the letter to says you are more than just a body. And it's speaking about this spiritual reality that he continues. Does anyone know what this is? Sorry? It's a morgue. Excellent. What's the table for? For autopsies, okay, let's get really explicit and do this. I assume it's a model, so don't worry, it's not really. Only dead people here. Only dead people here. What can we expect if we put a body on that stainless steel table and we say to it, get up and serve morning tea? Help an old lady across the road. Be a good citizen. Say your prayers. Read your Bible. What is it able to do? Okay, you're with me. Nothing. Have a listen to the way Paul describes it. If you open your Bibles, we're in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're reading verses 1 to 3 on page 1174, and I can't remember the page number on the big Bibles. Uh, Listen to these words. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. It opens up here in verse 1. It says, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. And you think, I'm not dead. That's correct. Your physical body is doing just fine, I assume, or in various levels of fine, depending on how sick you are this winter. But what God is saying here is, spiritually, we are dead until he intervenes. What that means is, we're laid out on the, the spiritual table here, What can we do to be saved according to this? We're dead. We're dead in our sins and transgressions. We're following the kingdom of the ruler of the air. We are people who are enslaved to our cravings and desires. Now that that actually does sound like our world a lot to me. 
no morality, just what we feel. Do what you feel. Be led by your appetites and desires. Sounds like the world around me. Why not do it? If it feels good, get into it. What it's saying, though, is by living our own way, by excluding God, you and I have made ourselves objects of God's wrath. Now, who wants to talk about that? That's scary stuff, isn't it? What this is saying is spiritually, you and I are, because of the fact that we've said to God, we we don't want you to play any part in our lives. Our our stomach and our hormones will be our God. They'll they'll guide and direct what we do in our lives. We're shutting you out, God. He says, well, I, I made you. I created you. If you shut me out, you're under my wrath, my anger. You're offside with me. You're making yourself my enemy. It says here that we were spiritually dead and that we are under wrath. What could we do to be right with God? I want you to follow the logic through. What could we do to be right with God? That's the answer, isn't it? Absolutely nothing. Can we save ourselves? The answer is no. It's unequivocal here. It's totally clear. I I like to think about it like this. Let's say that um, salvation is Perth, okay? Here we are in Oran Park, okay? Salvation is Perth, the city of Perth. We need to get from here to Perth, okay? Our vehicle for doing that is this. Does anyone know what that is? Our kids call it the morning tea train. Uh, It's behind, is it Cape Biz? Uh, At Norellan, have you seen this? If you haven't, get in there. It's fantastic. Uh, It's a carriage. It's sitting on the hill in the back of the car park behind the cake shop. The track is as long as the carriage. If I was to say to you, your vehicle to get to Perth is the morning tea train, how likely are you to get to Perth? Now we have a great picture of our ability to save ourselves. This is our vehicle. It has no locomotion, does it? Let's say you got a really big shove up on it and it went down the hill towards Camden. How far short of Perth is it? All right. The point here is we can't save ourselves. There is nothing in ourselves. We're dead on this stainless steel table spiritually, unable to save ourselves. Let's agree that that sounds pretty bad. Is that right? Gracious me. Did I come to church for this? Where's my uplifting sermon? Do you remember you said you wanted the bad news? But God. But God. Jeff and I were having a joke and saying there are some great buts in the Bible. Um, there are some great buts in the Bible. I want you to have a look with me at, uh, at this next little bit coming up. Here's, here's, the incredible, here's the incredible truth. When you make something, has anyone made anything recently? We don't really make things. Has anyone made anything recently? Something with their own hands. Uh, Tim, you have made something recently, haven't you? Uh, ask Tim later. He's got an incredible clock that tells the time with words. He made it all himself. It's brilliant. Um, mate, how do you feel about your clock? Happy. Happy. All right. I, I'm, I'm excited about Tim's clock, and I've just watched him make it. If I'd made it, I would be immensely proud of it. I would love it. Have a listen to what God says in Ephesians 4 here. But 
Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What has he done? Well, God made us, he loves us, and he has chosen to save us. We are loved, we are made alive, we are saved by him. What? That sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good. Why did he do it? Well, the answer is here, up here. What's that? A stack of what? A stack of presents. Have you earned a present? No. Someone who loves you will give you a present, and if you earned it, it would be a wage. Instead, it's a gift, isn't it? The gift is grace. Grace is a gift. It's totally free. Have a look at it, Ephesians 8 to 10 here, verses 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, there we are, God's handiwork, he made you, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. What happened? We're saved by grace. God saved us not because we deserved it, but because he loves us. He gave it to us as a present, as a gift. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. So what has the Father done for us in Jesus? Everything. It's all been done for you. It's all been done for you. Uh, Here's my picture. What's God done? He's built the engine. He's built the railway track. He's set the destination and he's hitched the carriage up. How did we get hitched up to the carriage of Jesus? By faith. Where did the faith come from? Even that was a gift from God. Our destination now is on rails. Who's assuring us that we're going to get there? God. Were you worthy of it? It's an extraordinary gift. It's an extraordinary gift. The beauty of the Christian faith is here. Do you want karma? If what God said about our spiritual state is right, you'll get what you deserve. What do we deserve according to what we read before? Wrath. Who wants that, by the way? Anyone signing up? I don't want karma. Grace trumps karma. It gives us what we don't deserve. Anyone who wants to tell me they believe in karma, I reckon, has a short-sighted view of how good they are. I don't want karma. I want grace. I want what I don't deserve. That's what's on offer in Jesus. Well, I'm done early, am I, Bernie? Brilliant. Extra time. All right, well, that's the first half. First half was, can we love God? The answer to that is... Not on our own. Why couldn't we do it on our own? Because spiritually we're laid out on the stainless steel table, dead, unable to contribute anything. What's God done? Saved us. How? In Jesus. He has paid the price for our sin and now offered us friendship with God. It's a good start. What about our neighbor? Part two, I said we couldn't love our neighbor as ourselves. 
This is where we need different world number two. Uh, is anyone watching the Olympics? A smaller percentage than the number of people who want the good news first. It's uh, amazing. Does anyone know how many countries are in the Olympics? Sorry, you have to say that a bit louder, mate. How many countries are there in the Olympics? It's the correct answer. There are 206 countries in the Olympics. That's amazing, mate. You have to know that because you're a PE teacher. Okay, that's brilliant. Well, well played. Uh, you go straight to the head of the, uh, the pile today. That's brilliant. Uh, so there are 206 countries in the Olympics. I've said this to you before, but here's what I reckon happens when the Olympics come on. I actually reckon there are only two countries in the Olympics. There's us and there's everyone else. Isn't that what happens when it comes to the Olympics? It, it's, it's incredible. There, you know, there was a, an air rifle medal for America this morning. There was some Korean guy who set a world record in archery the other day. I watched a ping pong game, but who cares? If they're not, really, if they're not wearing the green and gold, we, we fundamentally don't care, do we? When it, when it comes to the Olympics, we are, well, maybe it's overstating it, but we're God's people, Okay. And everyone else in the world is second. Can I tell you, that understanding is exactly at the heart of the problem that Paul was writing to. He was writing to a group of people for whom the world, if we get back to Ephesians 2, for which the world was divided in two. There's a group of people called the Jews who were God's chosen people. The whole Old Testament is written about them, right? And God says, I chose you by grace. I picked you, not because you were awesome, but just because I loved you. I chose you. I gave you a promised land. I gave you promises. I made you prosper. I brought you out of slavery into the promised land. You are my chosen people. And everyone else? That's what the Jews thought anyway, right? They're, they're They're just the Gentiles. The name is the rest. And there was a dividing wall between the two of them. Ephesians 2, 11 to 12 will tell us what it is. I'll put this up here. It's the law. The law said, how do I know I'm a Jew? You obey these 600 laws. You define what you wear, what you eat, where you sleep, where you poop, how you build your house, what you sacrifices you offer. Everything in your life is defined by the law. And it says, this is a Jew and everyone else is a Gentile. I can't relate with you because you're unclean. You're not like me. You're not one of the chosen people. Out there are the dirty heathen in this little nice box where all the laws are being... That's us. We're the people of God and no one else is. So you can imagine when God starts building his church and he says, I'm bringing all these people in, how does it feel to be a Jew in church next to someone who's a... Gentile, how do we do that? How does that work? How do we get past this dividing wall? Have a look uh, in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 11 uh, to 12 here. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done by the bo- uh, in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Well, well, let's just run that back. God's people are on that side of the fence. 
On this side of the fence are the Gentiles. How are they described? They're described as without Christ. They're Christless. They're described as not having a proper home. They're homeless. They're described as being worthless. They're described as being hopeless. They're described as being godless. That doesn't sound very good, does it? How do I do church with you? But God. But God. But God does something absolutely extraordinary. Have a look with me at verses 13 to 17. Let's see what he did. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was, how beautiful is this language, to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and, and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. What's the incredible thing that Jesus did? It says he's destroyed the dividing wall of hostility through the cross. How'd that happen? Well, Jesus is the only person who ever obeyed the law completely. You don't have to spend too long with me, ask my wife, to find out that I'm not perfect. Peter lived with Jesus, slept with him, ate with him for three years, and he said he had no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus is the one sinless person to ever live. The law says, if you sin, you deserve to die. Did Jesus deserve to die? Not on that logic, does he? And yet we know he did. So why? Well, it says on the cross, Jesus took our sin upon himself. The sinless one died for the sins of the world. The law completely fulfilled, the punishment for sin completely fulfilled. Jesus then destroys the thing that would separate the Jew from the Gentile. They both deserve saving. They both fell short and they're both completely washed by Jesus. What the cross says is something extraordinary. The cross says that Jesus creates one new humanity. I don't know if you've heard it said that there's level ground before the cross. Have you heard that before? What that means is whether you're one of the great and mighty people in this world or one of the least, we're all standing on the same flat ground in front of the cross. Because in front of the cross, I've sinned. I'll let you in on a secret. You've sinned. Whoever else it is in the world that you can imagine, we all stand on level ground before the cross and we all deserve God's wrath. And yet, he's offered us forgiveness. Each and every one of us here can be utterly forgiven. Sin wiped clean. Then we have a chance to be right with one another. Does anyone know when this happened? Can anyone tell me what it is? What is it? Maybe some of these people here weren't born uh, then, perhaps. Is that, is that right? Can anyone, does anyone know what this is? Berlin Wall. Anyone know when it happened? 1989. That's very good. 1989, the Berlin Wall came down. In it, East and West Germany, that had been 
enmity with one another, the wall came down. And all of a sudden, there was one new Germany, yeah? Where there had been two before, and a dividing wall of hostility, it came down, and the German people said, we're Germans. In Ephesians, 18, uh, Ephesians 2, 18 to 22, we see that same thing happening. Have a, look at the, have a look at these verses. For through him, for through Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. When it says both, it's not you and me, it's Jew and Gentile. We both have access to the Father through one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. I'll, I'll put this up, have a look at this. That, that, was what, that was the charge that was against the Gentiles, right? You're Christless, homeless, worthless, hopeless, godless. Have a listen to the way every point is reversed here. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. Okay, through Jesus. So what are we? By Christ, uh, so for in him, verse 18 says, for in him we both have access to the Father. So by Jesus, we have access to the Father. What does he do? Well, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. So you used to be homeless, now you are fellow citizens. Hey, uh, you used to be worthless before, what happens? Well, you're also members of his household. Brilliant. How important is it to know that you're part of God's family? Oh, oh you used to be hopeless, well now you are God's household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Are you hopeless anymore? no. In fact, you become God's temple built on this incredible foundation of the prophets. It says, verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the world, uh, in the Lord. Fantastic. Lastly, you were godless, verse 22, and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Formerly you were godless. What are you now? God's home. God's dwelling. He lives amongst his people. He says he'll set his spirit in our hearts. How's that for a great reversal? But God. So who's God's people? We're all one through Jesus, the Jew and the Gentile. How good's that? What barriers to unity remain in the church that God is building? What barriers remain? You're catching on the flow here, aren't you? None. Absolutely none. So what's changed? What, what should be different now? Well, I, I want you to consider the bad news again. I want you to consider that this was real, that we were in a carriage on top of a hill in Narellan, trying to get to Perth without an engine and without any railway tracks. Our ability to be saved was utterly gone. More than that, we were separated. Who are the Gentiles? That's us, isn't it? I don't think there are too many Jews here this morning, are there? If they are, well done. You've got half of it started. You've done really well. Catch the second half in Jesus. But the rest of us were in this Gentile category. We had no hope. We were cut off from the promises of God on the other side of the wall. That's the bad news. How could we ever be saved? How could we ever be God's people? Well, consider the good news again. But God, but God, 
hitched up the engine. Jesus died for us. He utterly paid the price for our sin. He forgave all of us the same way. He destroyed the dividing wall. And now you and I have level ground. We're all saved the same way if we'll trust in Jesus by faith. So what's my picture of our church? Carriages hitched up to the engine, covered to overflowing with people that we pick up as we travel to glory. Who's the engine? Jesus. What are we contributing? Well, our good works follow along merrily behind the engine, don't they? Let's go to glory. Let's do all the good works we can, but they'll follow along. What are we doing? We're grabbing people aboard the glory train, aren't we? As it heads to Perth, to heaven. I want you to think for a second, what, what's the impossible application? I heard, I heard the message this morning, I'm going to go home and think, God deserves me. I'm going to go home this morning and think, I'm never talking to those people who are older than me in church. I'm just going to stick in my own demographic. I think that's the impossible application. What we cannot do. What about what we, we must do? What's the necessary application? I'd do it now, but you'd probably think I was being overly dramatic. Fall on our knees and say, Lord, have mercy on me. Save me. I can't save myself. If, if you're here today and you've never done that, today is a great day to say, I want to be saved. I want to know what that forgiveness is. I want to receive that today. And if you've already done it, why don't you just let a little quiet, thank you, Jesus. What's a possible application? I want to say a possible application for us is that we need to get rid of any pride we have at being Christians. Gee, I'm so much better than those other people out there. Everyone else is living such a poor life. I'm living a great life. I'm doing really well. I'm a godly person. We are exactly the same as everyone else who's yet to take hold of the great truth that we've just talked about. Thank you, Jesus, for your mercy. Strike any pride from me. Give me humility. Secondly, here's another possible application. What barriers may exist in our church now? Race, age, class, money, suburb. What what barriers might be separating us from one another? We need to find the glorious unity that's in Jesus. We need to express it. We need to live it across our demographics, across our our race background, across our class, across our incomes, whatever age category we're in. How do we express it? And we go, no, we are truly one in Jesus. That's what he died for. The possible application is we might need to do something about that. So just quietly, I'll let you know a little secret. Just quietly. Um, I'm going to be watching morning tea very closely. No pressure. I think today, I hope you've heard something glorious. The God of the universe saved us when we didn't deserve it. He's made us one in a way that transcends soccer clubs, hobbies, suburbs, whatever else might bind us together. He's made us one by saving us, renewing us, 
and giving us the same spirit. Let's live that out in great thankfulness on our path to glory. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for this message today. We thank you for grace, what we don't deserve. We thank you, Father, for this new humanity in Jesus that you've created. Father, help us to seek what is your church, a church powered by Jesus' death and resurrection, equipped with your Holy Spirit, bound for glory, guaranteed by your promise. We ask these things for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen.